Amen. Good evening, everyone. Those of you listening online, I'm Associate Pastor Mike Gilbert, filling in for Pastor Rick this evening. Well, tonight we will be in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, and uh, we'll take verses 1 through 41. And the key verse in this section is verse 22 of Lamentations, chapter 3, which reads, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. A little bit of background about our text tonight, the book of Lamentations. It was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And essentially, it was a a funeral song after the fall of Jerusalem. The northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen, and then there was a very long and horrific siege of uh, Jerusalem by the Babylonian army, the beloved city of Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah, and it was captured and destroyed. And uh, the temple was destroyed, and along with that, the ministry of the priesthood was cut off. So this was a city that was under the judgment of God, and it was very severe. And the reason for their judgment is given in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So they, had, they looked for alternatives to the Lord, alternatives to obedience and submission to him. Uh, They didn't care for his life-giving supply of all their needs, but instead they gave their worship to to false gods. So in the midst of this is Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah is a man who had faithfully preached the word of the Lord to the nation for over 40 years. And uh, just faithfully calling them to repentance, weeping over them, uh, expressing really the heart of God. Uh, and how he felt over their rebellion, but they would not listen. And so now Jeremiah had to watch firsthand as the as the city was destroyed, and this was heartbreaking uh, to him. You know, so so much effort, so much suffering that he went through personally just to to faithfully hold out the word of God, and then only just to be rejected, to be mocked. Uh, worst of all, to see God mocked. And then to have to witness and live through such, a, such extreme suffering uh, and humiliation uh, as what came to his people as, as a result of, of the siege. But in tonight's study, uh, what I believe the Lord would have us to focus upon is, is the mercy and the faithfulness of God towards his people in times of suffering. And in particular, uh, those who find themselves suffering as Jeremiah was, as, as a righteous man. This chapter three of, of Lamentations is at the is at the center of the book, and uh, and that's intentional. Uh, Hebrew poetry would put uh, what it wants to emphasize most. It would put it at the center. So five chapters, chapter three here at the center. But overall, that the Lord has ordained it to be so. And so, amidst all of the destruction, the destruction and the suffering that is described in the book, it it reaches a, a climax in this chapter, uh, and that is when it begins to consider the mercy and the character of God. Chapter 3 also is is written in acrostic form, uh, where every three verses, they correspond to to a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Chapters 1, 2, and 4 are similar. But this chapter, which deals specifically with the, the personal suffering of Jeremiah the prophet, it has... Three times the content. Don't worry, we're not going to do the whole chapter. <laughs> um, but this is significant, I think. And uh, first, it's it's in acrostic format, and and that's not uh, to be artistic, uh, but it's so that its contents can be remembered, and uh, more importantly, so that uh, the Lord and His faithfulness can be remembered. And secondly, since uh, these are the personal sufferings of the prophet. Uh, it reminds us, that as it says in Psalms 34, many are the affliction of, afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And uh, oftentimes those who are faithfully serving the Lord uh, seem to find themselves suffering more than those living in rejection of God. And uh, so with the importance of, of remembrance, remembering the Lord's mercy and faithfulness and suffering, it's, as it's stressed in this chapter, uh, the title for tonight's message is Remember Jesus Christ. Because all that we go through is done in him. And uh, to remember Christ in times of suffering, his nature, his love, the covenant that, that he has made with us by his own blood, our future with him 
the fact that he understands exactly what we're going through, that's, that's the turning point of our sorrows. And uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So with this in mind, we'll look at verse 1. Verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. So here, uh, Jeremiah, he identifies himself as personally enduring the suffering at, at the hand of God because of, of what had come upon the people. Uh, the rod, of course, that the Lord used was the Babylonian army and, and the devastation that they brought as a, as a result of the siege. Jeremiah witnessed this with his own eyes and experienced it. And, uh, and this was personal for him. It broke his heart. And we know as believers that God did not appoint us to wrath, but uh, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord has taken the judgment of our sin, the wrath of God upon him. But, but as we see the, the, the ruining effects of sin on those that we love, we also are we're afflicted by that. And uh, the judgment is close enough to give us heartache, to almost uh, make us feel it perhaps even more, more so. And there's an identification with their pain, and Jeremiah was experiencing that, this. And, and in this, he reminds us of the Lord. So Isaiah 53, speaking of the Lord, says that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And only he could suffer for our sin in this way, but as we consider uh, the rejection of Christ, the, the heartache, the griefs that he carried. Uh, it does remind us of what Paul said in Colossians 1, 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So often I think our afflictions as believers comes from bearing the sadness of a rejected message and then seeing the hurt and the devastation that, that sin produces in someone else's life because of it and then just seemingly not being able to do anything about it it's personal and it's personal because of love and it can be very agonizing but to preach and to pray anyway that's still our mission and uh, james writes the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much verse two he has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light and so what jeremiah is saying here is that in this present situation, as he surveys the city, surveys the destruction, the hopelessness, there just doesn't appear to be any hope at all. Uh, light is representative of hope. And, and so there's nothing to give him hope in this, no clear path forward. And it's interesting, though, uh, that he says, he has led me. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Speaking of the Lord, uh, he will not lead us into temptation. The uh, Bible is very clear on that, but he will at times lead us into situations that, that, that will strip away every other security besides leaning on him. And it, it's comforting to know, though, that, that even if he should lead us, as the Psalm, psalmist says, Psalm 23 says, through the valley of the shadow of death, if that's where he leads us, there's, that's the safest place that we can be. Verse 3. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. Well, this speaks of, of just repeated blows. And uh, this is not a, a situation of, you know, just having a bad day where everything just kind of went wrong. These are heavy hits. And, and they're felt by a righteous man, no less, that, that can really trace no cause to, the wrong, uh, to any wrongdoing at all. So, you know, we can't help but think of Job. Uh, and the calamity that came to him, just just wave after wave. And he asked God, why do you hide your face and regard me as an enemy? But, you know, Job couldn't see the actual countenance of God towards him. If, if, if only he knew how loved he was. And I think it's that way in our life. Sometimes things just come like this, and it's just, you know, so I just wish that we could, you know, I could see the face of the Lord. Just, is he pleased or is he not? Is there something wrong? I'm, I, I'm unsure. Well, Psalm 22, verse 24 says, For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. And of course, that's a messianic psalm. And uh, so God looks at the believer as he looks at his own son, and that's with intense love because the Christian is accepted in the beloved. Verse 4, 
He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. And so the, 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 the suffering that he saw and that he witnessed, that there was a physical toll uh, that was taken on Jeremiah as he lived through the sorrow. And uh, he, he had aged prematurely, and the, the suffering, it, 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 there was a, a great, great physical ordeal for him. And uh, he felt as if he were just wasting away. Verse 5, he has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. So, identifying with the siege of the city, the suffering that was caused by the siege, he describes how he personally has been surrounded by bitterness and woe. And the King James translates it, gall and travail. And, um, of course, this uh, obviously calls to mind just the, the bitter suffering of the Christ is that he endured on the cross, uh, Matthew twenty-seven thirty-four. They gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink and uh, would not have his mental faculties numbed all the way to the cross and on the cross, just very intent, intently focused on accomplishing the will of the Father, our salvation. And so, you know, it can happen that um, a believer might find himself in a situation that they just... Uh, feel that they can't bear any longer. And, and so out of desperation, begin to look for some way to escape the pain. And uh, it's comforting to know that the Lord knows that. He understands that. But instead, uh, looking for some alternative, he says, just come to me. Come, come to me, all you who la- are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, Peter talks about casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Verse 6. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. So after over 40 years faithfully serving the Lord, uh, it, it, it all seemed to have been kind of just come to nothing for Jeremiah. He felt completely forgotten, like uh, just like a body that was buried in the grave for so long that, you know, you walk past it and the tombstone, the name on the tombstone just means nothing to anybody. And uh, that's how he felt. And I think as, as God's children, we can often feel that way at times. We can, it can, we can seem insignificant, looked over, failures by the world's standards. But, but uh, the, the life of a child of God is hidden with Christ in God, Scripture says. And a life that is yielded to the Lord, that is crucified with Christ, it will be a fruitful life. John chapter 12, verse 24 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies... It remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. In verse 7 and 8, He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. So, Jeremiah, he, he recalls being put into prison for, for just for preaching the word faithfully. And uh, his obedience to God, God's call on his life, had had confined it, had confined him. It, it had uh, restricted his freedom to the point of just being completely cut off by people who should have received him. Uh, but what made things worse was that even in that condition, it seemed that when he would pray, they just you know wouldn't go above the ceiling, and uh, God seemed to leave him unaided in that, and it just made the the whole situation, the chains, feel heavier. He felt forsaken. But he was in good company because um, the Lord expressed the same feeling from the cross when he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the reality is, is that God did hear. God did hear Jeremiah's prayers and he, as he hears our prayers. And, uh, and he answered them in mercy and, and in his timing. He vindicated Jeremiah in the end. And um, perhaps this can seem to be our condition at times. We can find ourselves in a situation that just you know seems like there's no way out. We're chained to it, it seems. And uh, in those times, we have, to, we have to learn to wait on the Lord and see what he'll do. So much is added to our faith in that waiting period. Verse 9. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. So here he's, he's describing that every exit out of this uh, painful situation was, was blocked. But... Uh, more specifically, it, it seemed to be intentionally blocked. The hewn stone would have been something that was crafted together, that was cemented together. And it just has the idea that the Lord had, had intentionally barricaded him in without any chance of escape. 
and 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 the the crooked paths to talk about um, just this this wandering for a long time, only to end up back where he started from, uh, deceiving him. And um, we can't lose sight of the fact that these are the experiences of a righteous man. And I, you know, I think uh, one lesson in this is that the path of obedience at times can be very disorienting. It can be confusing. Um, and, and even impossible apart from the grace and mercy of God. But but we have that. And uh, that grace and mercy never once left Jeremiah. And the fact that this is recorded is proof of that. God saw him through. Verse 10 and 11. He has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. Well, in Scripture, the, the lion and the bear, they seem to, 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 to often show up together. And many times it's, it's symbolic of, of chastening, the chastening of God and his dealings with his people. Uh, for instance, in Hosea, the Lord, through the prophet, he confronted the people because they were turning to, to Baal, uh, emblematic of just the, the self-confidence or confidence in anything other than God. And so God reminded them through the prophet that uh, he had been with them in the wilderness. He had provided them. He had taken care of them in times of need. Why did they? Why would they need anyone else? Hosea 13, verse 6 through 8, when they, had, when they had pasture, they were filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore, they forgot me. So I will be to them like a lion, like a leopard by the road. I will lurk. I will meet them like a bear deprived of her cub, cubs. And, and so... It goes on, and the language there is, is very serious, uh, but it's motivated by love uh, and, and it's that covenant faithfulness of God to show them the danger of leaving his care. And uh, it's interesting, it says when they, when they had pasture, they were filled, they were filled, and their heart was exalted, therefore they forgot me. And uh, at times the Lord needs to, to empty us of things that are keeping us from from really being able to enjoy the blessings that he really wants to give us. And um, we can have a tendency to forget him when, when things are well. And uh, when we get full and satisfied, he can, he can begin to, to, the Christian can begin to forget that, that God is the one that led him to that place of blessing in the first place. Uh, self-confidence, it, it begins to exalt the heart. And uh, so it's out of the Lord's mercy that he allows things to come into our lives that, that empty us back out. And uh, it, at times it even appears to leave us desolate, uh, but, but all with the intent that we would look up to him again in dependence and, and submission and receive the blessing he wants to give. As believers, we're called vessels of mercy. Uh, Romans chapter 9, Paul says that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Of, as vessels, we're to be filled with the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. And when self-confidence, self-sufficiency, those things fill up the vessel, it's the Lord out of his love, out of his faithfulness uh, to us, that he'll send things into our lives that may even take us by surprise uh, so that we are emptied in order to receive the, the blessings that he really wants to give. And, um, you know, there are times also, I think, when it seems like uh, that the Lord is just coming at us for no obvious reason. There's no explanation that we can think of for why you know, he may be allowing whatever the situation is to overtake us. And I believe that is what uh, Jeremiah was experiencing. And um, again, he's identifying with the destruction of his people. But this was, this was personal for him, too. And he had been faithful to the Lord. And in those times, uh, we just have to wait on the Lord to see what he's doing. And, uh, but here's what we do know. In the 23rd Psalm, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's interesting that that word for follow is, is descriptive of an animal that is chasing their prey, that is pursuing their prey. And so from this perspective, it's goodness and mercy, the covenant faithfulness of God. And this is what the Lord is sending just to overtake us daily and is behind every trial. He doesn't afflict willingly, the scripture says. He wants to bless and uh, his love is, is in all that he allows. And what a comfort that is when we face trials. Charles Spurgeon said, The wisdom and power of the great workman are discovered by the trials through which his vessels of mercy are permitted to pass. Verse 12 and 13. He has sent his bow, sorry, he has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. 
He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. Well, here the metaphor changes from from the lion and the and the bear. Now it's the skillful hunter, and uh, Jer- Jeremiah likens his troubles to to an archer, someone that is shooting at him, him being the target. And, uh, and targets are uh, <laughs> defenseless; uh, they can't return fire. They, 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 and, and they're very deliberately, you know, shot at. And um, and so the bow was an instrument of warfare, and the Babylonians were archers. The, the loins indicate the, the emotions or the heart, we would say. And, and so God's arrows had destroyed him in this way. Emotionally, he was just a wreck. And so Jeremiah felt as if, if God was meeting him as an enemy. And uh, the Lord also met Jacob as an enemy, it seemed. But the end result was blessing, and there was a greater, there was a deeper knowledge of God as a result. And this is the goal of all of our suffering as a believer. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed uh, to his death. Verse 14, I have become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day. So, again, this faithful servant of the Lord, he was he was treated as a, as a joke. He was mocked, and, and even songs were made to, to humiliate and to belittle him. And uh, uh, Jesus said, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He has filled me with bitterness, verse 15. He has made me drink wormwood. And so... Uh, the expression here is that of a, just a tremendously bitter experience, and and what he had experienced in the in just the, the, the constant ridicule and the rejection of his preaching, not to mention the horrors that he witnessed during the siege, it had left him just with this bitterness that had filled him. And uh, you know, sometimes the the difficulty of the things that we go through, it just it's just such an unpleasant experience that. You know, it's it, maybe it's just one that just doesn't seem to go away. It can fill our hearts with, with bitterness as a result. And the problem is that bitterness then spreads to others. And uh, I've witnessed this in my own home and been the perpetrator of it, unfortunately. Um, a, a bitter spirit, it spreads, and it brings everybody else down with it. And it doesn't get a pass, even though the discomfort is real. Hebrews twelve fifteen says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Verse 16, we'll take verse 17 too. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. So this this breaking of the teeth with gravel, this being covered with ashes, it's a a picture of deep humiliation, uh, just the cruelty that had come to Jeremiah. And the gravel could have come from baking bread that was mixed with ashes on the ground because of the very difficult conditions uh, they were subjected to as a result of the siege, but it's not that clear. Um, but he, again, he assigns the cause of, of this calamity to God. And it is true that the Lord brought about the, the rod of his wrath, uh, the, the siege, because the people had turned from him. Um, and so the humiliation and the lack of peace that uh, was in that sense brought about by God, but more accurately it was brought uh, as the, the people had brought it upon themselves by turning away from the Lord. And so what Jeremiah was not able to see that was that there was the mercy of God in this, uh, but he would eventually. And um, Jeremiah here, was he was at the bottom. He was literally in the gravel and the ashes. Uh, but in the mercy of God, that's that's where the Lord has to bring us to it's, uh, at times so that we'll look up to him. Verse 18, And I said, My strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. So here again, uh, th- this righteous man, this, this faithful servant of the Lord, uh, Jeremiah is is weakened to the point of, of no strength left. And uh, he's just so discouraged that... Uh, that the hope that he had previously received from the Lord is just gone. He's at a point of exhaustion because there's, there's just uh, 
no human effort, nothing could bring, could revive him, nothing except the touch of God. And uh, if there was any hope to, to still be had, it must come from, from the Lord. It must be a fresh touch from the Lord. And it's interesting that the word for strength uh, could also be translated endurance. His ability to keep uh, him going in the race had been completely drained. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. But sometimes a Christian will go through a trial that has just put them down to the point that they're not able to go one more step. There's no, there's no endurance, there's no hope that seems to be left. And the good news, though, for the believer is that their hope is not based upon their own strength. It, it's held fast in Christ instead. It's anchored there. It's immovable. Uh, Hebrews 6 says, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus. So not only is our hope a, a sure hope that's anchored in him, but it's the, he, the Lord himself, the forerunner, has, has gone before us, and he's bringing us in by his strength. And uh, in trial, you know, one look at the Lord, and we're reassured of this. And so this whole, we're coming to a, a turning point for Jeremiah, uh, where he's going to do just this. He's going to begin to look to the Lord, and uh, his perspective is going to radically change. Hebrews 12 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 19 and 20. Remember my affliction and my roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. Well, this is the turning point. We're approaching a turning point now because at this point, Jeremiah is beginning to look at the Lord. And uh, he couldn't have been any lower, but now he starts to get his eyes off of himself, off of his circumstances, and he puts them on the Lord. And uh, so now he's, he's saying, remember my affliction and my roaming. He's addressing the Lord directly in verse 19. And uh, knowing the lift this is going to bring to his faith, uh, it makes you wish you could have done it sooner. But how instructional, how intentional it is that the sufferings of this righteous man were recorded as they, as they were for us. Remember, this is a carefully put together uh, song. It's an acrostic. It's, it's literally A to Z. God has preserved for us uh, what this man went through. And he understands the griefs. He understands the sorrows that come our way. And, 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 and none of it gets past him. He understands the confusion. He knows the struggle that we endure in, in his service and in this race of faith. And, and it has meaning to it. As David says in Psalm 34 again, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So Jeremiah again he says, says to the Lord, Remember my affliction and my roaming, the wormwood and the gall. So he had forgotten his prosperity. There was... Uh, there was nothing good uh, that could be remembered. He could only remember the affliction. And he's calling to mind both the, the outward and the inward affliction that he experienced, the roaming about in confusion and just attacked outwardly, and then the bitterness the, from the whole situation, just that conflict inside. And uh, so it is many times for the believer. Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter 7, For indeed, we have came, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Jeremiah says, my soul still remembers it. It sinks within me. So the, the, the thought is that all that he had been through, it was just too much for him to, to even think about it. It made his heart sink. And up to this point, he had been remembering his own troubles. And as long as the focus remains there, it's, it, it only results in a, a depressed mind. Uh, but now his remembering shifts from his troubles to his God. Verse 21. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. So as Jeremiah began to, to remember the Lord and specifically just the, the great mercy uh, towards him and also to the nation, he realized that you know if, if it were not for God and his mercy, neither he nor anyone else would have any hope of survival, but he was still standing. And so were others. There was a remnant. And, uh, you know, if we really got what we deserve, none of us would make it. That's the point that he's making here. 
So the word for mercy here is a word that can be also translated steadfast love. It's, it's the faithful, loyal love of God towards his people. And the Lord had made a covenant with his people. He promised them that if they left him to worship other gods, he would bring judgment on them. He would scatter them. But he also promised not to utterly destroy them, and he promised to bring them back. And the fact that he brought the judgment, that was an act in itself of his faithfulness, because the Lord always keeps his word. But it's also important to know that when we talk about the Lord's judgment, it is, it, it's a long time, it takes a long time to arrive. It's not something that he does willingly. He doesn't afflict willingly. And uh, it was delayed. And uh, he let a lot go by before bringing it upon them. Uh, when Isaiah speaks of the judgment of God upon his people, he refers to it as his unusual work or his strange work. And so we read so much more about instead just the long patience, the long suffering, suffering of God with his people rather than his judgment. It's very real. It's very serious. But it's, uh, so it was as Jeremiah began to remember this, this covenant faithfulness and the mercy of God, who he is, his nature, that his perspective began to change dramatically. When Paul was in uh, a cold Roman prison, he wrote uh, the letter to, to Timothy, or wrote the letter of 2 Timothy. He was, it was just a very uh, uncomfortable environment. Paul's ex- execution was imminent. There was, there was still a lot on his heart, though, that he wanted to pass on to Timothy. And um, there were some parting final instructions he, he wanted to give to Timothy about regarding, uh, you know, living the Christian life, his ministry. Uh, he knew that times of suffering would come and it would be in, that would be involved in, in being faithful to Christ in the days to come. And so he encouraged him. We remember, be, you know, Paul said, be strong, in the grace of, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. But knowing that these things would be tested, that they would be at, at times opposed... He says this to him in 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Remember Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, remember that he's alive, remember that he's coming again, remember that we have a new covenant of grace through his blood with him, that he will be faithful to us. So to remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, this would strengthen Timothy uh, in these times of hardship, and and so it does for us also. And so as Jeremiah's hope returned, uh, when he considered the Lord, or Jeremiah's hope began to return when he considered the Lord. And so the same is true for the suffering Christian. David said in the Psalms, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. His compassions fail not. And the compassions of God, they're his, his tender mercies. They're like, like the care of a mother for the child in the womb. And, uh, and these he recalls, Jeremiah does, that, that they would never fail uh, toward his people. And uh, God had specifically spoken to Jeremiah and said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, loving ki- with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And uh, this is not just a promise to Jeremiah. This is recorded in God's word because it's a promise to every child of God. Verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So again, the, the Lord's judgment is very slow in coming. But his mercies and the, the demonstrations of his love, they're, they're new each morning. They overtake us. And uh, each day there are things to praise him for. And, and uh, how many things that, that we don't see uh, that he takes care of. And so that's why Paul says in the letter to the, Philipp- to the, in the Philippian letter, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And so to do that, it, ca- it requires us to take note of the special ways that he treats us. And, uh, and it will change our perspective on the troubles we faith, face. Psalm 30 says, verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Uh, 
Thomas Chisholm was a man that uh, was the man that wrote the hymn "Great is Thy Faithfulness," and he wrote it based on this verse. And uh, if you read the stories of a lot of the the, the hymn writers, they, they, the well-known hymn writers, that is, they, they, there's usually some pretty remarkable events in their life or a testimony that they have of some sort. Um, but with this man, uh, there was really nothing that was that remarkable. And uh, he re- he wrote towards the end of his life. My income has never been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years which has followed me on until now. But I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care which have filled me with astonishing gratefulness. And so this was a man that learned to just take note of the many mercies of God each day and, and praise is really the only outlet for that. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. So back in verse 18, Jeremiah's hope had perished. But having remembered the Lord and his mercies, his hope is is alive again. And uh, the Lord being the portion of the sufferer, this speaks of communion with Christ, abiding in him. Uh, David would say in, in Psalm 16, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup, you maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. And um, and so uh, David, you know, demonstrates for us, he says, who, who, who have I in heaven but you? Uh, there's none upon the earth that I desire besides you. He had a loose grip on the things of this world and uh, was more focused on eternity with the Lord. That's where his heart and his treasure was. Peter refers to the Christian as a as a pilgrim, a sojourner, someone who's passing through, and uh, because their citizenship is in heaven, and I think that helps us tremendously when uh, we see the very disheartening conditions of the the world that we live in today. Uh, the inheritance that we have is in Christ, and uh, it's greater than anything we could ever enjoy in this life, and and it certainly far outweighs the the suffering uh, that we may have to go through. And, you know, when our rights are infringed upon here, uh, we can know that the Lord maintains our lot. Uh, He determines the boundaries. He determines the portion both here and in in eternity. And he will be faithful to, to, to care for us, to vindicate us. Verse 25 and 26, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So pretty clear at this point, hope has revived in Jeremiah. Uh, He has received strength from just meditating upon the Lord, waiting upon him. And uh, the waiting that he is talking about here, it's not a a passive waiting, but it's a waiting that pursues the Lord. And um, uh, something that can be very difficult at times when, when, when there's discomfort of some sort that we're dealing with. We want that out of the way. We want it out of our lives now. We don't want to wait. But the Lord's ways are are different uh, because so much gets done in that waiting process. Um, Faith begins to grow uh, and spiritual strength builds as we as we wait upon the Lord. And we verse that we know very well, Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So the Lord in his wisdom, uh, at times he chooses not to remove the the thorn in the flesh from our lives. And uh, we have to trust him with that. And if he doesn't remove it, then maybe it can become something that is useful. And uh, we know it's for our good. But there's a connection between hope and patience in the scriptures. Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he he refers to the, the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then James connects patience to trials. James chapter 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So this this virtue of patience also is not just a, a passively waiting, but it's 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 actively enduring a trial. And, and literally it means to remain under to remain under whatever it is. And, uh, and so what is it actively doing then? Well, it's, 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 again, it's pressing into the Lord. It's seeking him in his word. It's, it's developing faith into maturity. The trials 
come and they test and reveal the faith, but the faith grows by the word of God. Jeremiah says, it's good that one should hope and wait quietly. And uh, this, I think, is just being still and not having a, a complaining attitude about the ordeal. Pretty difficult to do. <laughs> but what a virtue. Uh, what a thing to pursue. And, and also, what a way to show love uh, and trust to the Lord. Verse 27. It's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Um, you know, what a blessing it is uh, for a young person to submit early in life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, um, to take his yoke upon them, to learn from him, as the Lord says in Matthew 11. But to, for that to happen early on, the one who learns to submit to the Lord uh, and allows, that to, allows him to be the Lord of their life early on and to come under his, his authority, um, is just so much better off for it as they get older. And uh, fewer regrets, longer, more productive service. Jeremiah himself was a young man uh, called by God uh, as a youth. Uh, Samuel as well, another example of a young man that was dedicated to the Lord early on and and remained that way willingly. And uh, tremendous ways that God used these men. Verse 28, let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. So this, again, it reminds us of the example of the Lord. Uh, he was oppressed, uh, he was afflicted, but he opened not his mouth, Isaiah said. And uh, it, says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And um, so there's no better example than the Lord uh, for suffering for no fault of his own. And uh, it's very difficult uh, to suffer for something when there's no fault on our part. Or perhaps we've been wronged accusedly or just... Maybe just don't line up with someone's opinion. And, um, you know, we can be so eager to push back or to retaliate in some way. And uh, Peter learned quite a bit from the example of Christ on this topic, and he writes about it in his first letter. One example is in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. And so... Here's a case of of obeying God rather than men for the sake of conscience. And so the scripture makes it very clear that this doesn't go in any way unnoticed with the Lord. It's commendable by God, and there is reward. Uh, Again, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, Jeremiah says, Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Well, this is taking a, a position of humility, a, a place of submission to the Lord, just waiting on him for his deliverance. And again, Peter said, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Verse 30, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach, for the Lord will not cast off forever. Well, again, our minds go directly to the Lord Uh, Isaiah writing of him in chapter 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. And, um, you know, the Lord himself would even address this issue, Matthew 5. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, the, the strike on the cheek, it was probably more of an insult than a physical assault. So the application is is showing grace in response to insult. And uh, the issue is that with this is that it makes the one who is being insulted vulnerable for another strike. But it also gives the room gives room for the Lord to work in the heart of the person who's the offender. Uh, the Bible says, "Give place to wrath; vengeance is mine; I will repay." The Lord will not cast off forever. Uh, Jeremiah says. And uh, his actions or possibly inaction in a difficult situation that might feel like rejection, but it's not. His love for his people is unchanging. Verse 32, though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. So the prophet is explaining that the Lord's mercies and his compassions, they far outweigh whatever grief he, he, he was allowed to bear. And that's quite a statement coming from Jeremiah. So this meditating upon the Lord and resulted in this statement. And um, 
considering all the devastation, all the hardship that he had been through, um, what a thing for him to say. But these are not merely just Jeremiah's words. This is God's word. He wants us to understand that about his nature. Uh, Isaiah 54, verse 7 says, For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. And uh, that could be rephrased for a, for a bat of an eye, for a mere moment I have forsaken you. And in reality, he will never leave or forsake his people. But, you know, sin, it creates distance in the relationship with the Lord. It makes it seem that way. Prayer can seem like it's blocked when there's ongoing uh, willful sin in a believer's life. Confessed sin, it restores that fellowship, though. And the Lord is very quick to forgive. I mean, you just consider the father and the, the story of the prodigal son. He, he didn't even have a chance to confess. The father was already there embracing him because it was obvious that the heart had turned back. There was repentance. And, uh, and so it's, it's the, the nature of the, our Father in heaven. Verse 33. For he does act, he, sorry, for he does not act, let me try that again, for he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. So when chastening has to come to his people, it's, again, it's something that he's very reluctant to do. And uh, the same goes for the judgment of, of those who are not in Christ. It's not something that he wants to do at all. It's not even in his heart to do it. But it's done when there's no other option. And uh, it is something that, that, that he does do. Verse 34. To crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the justice due a man before the face of the Most High, or subvert a man in his cause, the Lord does not approve. So these verses, they show us that if, if affliction comes to a believer through injustice, uh, God not only sees it, but he doesn't approve of it. He may have allowed it for some purpose, but, but the acts themselves, are, they're condemned acts. And uh, those who have committed them will be answerable to the Lord. And we, can, we, we need to understand that. The incidences here, that, that they relate to cruelty, to, to perversion of justice. And uh, when these things occur... They may be permitted by God and his sovereignty, but they are wickedness to him. And uh, the offenders will be judged if they, if they do not repent. And it's helpful for us to know that when, when our sense of, of justice is deprived. And, uh, you know, the Lord, again, he had no, no justice given to him. But Peter writes, he committed himself to him who judges righteously. And that's, uh, that's what we do. We commit ourselves to the Lord who judges righteously. Verse 37 who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? So what he's saying here is that God is in control. That's the message in these verses. Jeremiah had come to a, a place of resting at this point, knowing that, that, that nothing could happen, whether it's good or bad, without it at first being allowed by God, by the Lord, for his purposes. And... Uh, with the basic understanding of God's unchanging nature, his goodness, his mercy, the, the multitude of his mercies, his justice, his love, Jeremiah could rest in the fact that even though he could not understand the, the reasons for the severity of the trial, trials in, in his case, uh, he knew that, that God was in control, every detail of it, and that he would be merciful and faithful. And uh, this, again, it, it reminds us of Job a man that had experienced so much loss and sorrow and, and it had come upon him so quickly also, even so that his, his own wife could not understand, uh, you know, why, why, do, why do you hold fast to your integrity, she, she said. And uh, he was just being a fanatic about his faith perhaps, or, in, or maybe in her opinion it, it, it just seemed better for him just to give up, just to give up on God, to blaspheme him, to die, but he would not. And uh, he would say to her, shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? Should we accept the, the multitude of his mercies, but not the adversity he allows also? Jeremiah asks the same question. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? And so God is, again, certainly not the author of evil. But as in the case of Job, he could use even, even Satan for his good purposes in the lives of his people. And how comforting that nothing is permitted in the life of a of a Christian, of a child of God, unless it has first been allowed by him. And uh, that his disposition, his countenance toward the believer, it's always one of love. 
And uh, in that sense, even the trial uh, is a gift because it's been it's been permitted for some good purpose from the Lord. And uh, we can look at the world today. We can get depressed really quickly uh, when we see all of the evil, all of the injustice, all of the lawlessness that um, just seems to be going unchecked. But there is peace, remembering who God is, remembering that nothing happens without his permission and uh, to accomplish his purposes, which are good. Psalm 37 has so much encouragement along these lines. It tells us, don't fret because of evildoers. Just rest in the Lord. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. In the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. So the believer has nothing to fear. And the Lord knows the details every, every, every one of our days, and he's already made provision for them. Verse 39. Why should a living man complain? a man for the punishment of his sins. Well, this is an encouragement to not complain against the Lord for the trials that may come into a person's life. Uh, In light of the goodness of God that that, that Jeremiah has just cataloged for us here, Jeremiah is saying, how can anyone rightfully lodge a complaint against the Lord? Whatever comes, comes for our profit. Hebrews 12, verse 11, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the flesh resists that, but the spirit finds reason for joy in what God is doing. Verse 40, Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. So, the prophet whose his focus had shifted from his circumstances to the Lord and he's experienced that restored joy and that rene- renewed hope in the Lord. Now he's encouraging others to do the same. And um, there's so much encouragement here for us also. Instead of complaining and, and grieving the circumstances, how much better it is just to look into uh, the, the love and faithfulness of God, to search that out, to search into the covenant of grace that he is made with us, to look into our inheritance with him. And uh, there may need to be also to to prayerfully look into our our own hearts to find out what the Lord may be wanting to teach us, maybe wanting to correct, but all of it a work of his grace. And then verse 41, let us lift our hands, let us lift our heart and hands to God in heaven. And this is where we'll stop this evening, but a fitting place to close with hearts and hands lifted to such a, a merciful, such a faithful and loving God. Uh, the reasons for his praise, they, they outweigh, they outnumber uh, any trouble we could ever face, and our hope is in him. So as we go out the rest of our week, if, if there be any difficulty, any lack of peace, may we rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, may we remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead that through his mercies we are not consumed, that we are in him, that he is in us, and he's working all things together for the good. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your covenant faithfulness, uh, for your mercies that are new every morning. And uh, Lord, as the song says, that there is no shadow of turning with you. And uh, so, Lord, may we be strengthened by your love this evening. May May we be made useful for you this week. And uh, please get us all home safely in Jesus' name. Amen.